Hey, I'm here in Bozeman, Montana, grabbing a coffee with four-time Nordic ski Olympian Andy Newell. I wanted to get some insights into Andy's background and what he sees developing in this ski community as I write and illustrate the next Discover Montana Treasures book, Skiing Bozeman. Learn about how he approaches the ski season, develops mental and physical resiliency as an all-around winter athlete, and what to look forward to in the future. Uh, my name's Andrew Newell, and I'm a cross-country skier from Shaftesbury, Vermont, a four-time Olympian, and have been competing in ski races since I was five years old. And I'm now 36 years old, and now I've transitioned into coaching and work with the Bridger Ski Foundation. And I coach their, their pro team, uh, as well as the college group in the summer, and also work with their younger junior-level skiers throughout the year. So uh, I started in Vermont because uh, that's where I grew up and my folks are from there. Um, so I, I spent the first uh, 16 years of my life skiing in Southern Vermont um, and attended the Stratton Mountain School, which is a ski school at the base of Stratton, Vermont for cross-country skiing, snowboarding. Around 15 years old is when I started to kind of put other sports aside, whether it was soccer or lacrosse or swimming, whatever these other part-time kind of seasonal sports I was playing and, and made the commitment to focus more on on ski training. And so that's why I chose to do that around that age of 15 and went to the Stratton Mountain School. It was coached by Sferi Caldwell, who's a, his father was an Olympic coach for Bill Koch. Um, and so the Caldwells have kind of a, a rich history in the Nordic world um, and was coached by Sferi starting at age 15. At that point kind of transitioned into full-time, what we call full-time ski training, which means like training in the summer for skiing, um, you know, and not, you know, focusing on cross training 100% of your time um, and, and that, at that age is when I transitioned into more of like a, a year-round training plan versus just participating in other sports and then hopping on skis in the winter. That's when you start to kind of periodize your training and structure it more so that you're building your fitness on a yearly basis, like a yearly calendar, so that you can be your best in the winter um, and trying to build that kind of strength and aerobic capacity and all that kind of stuff to get ready for a racing season. So, yeah, I started doing that in high school and then was named to the U.S. ski team uh, as a... Uh, 17, 18 year old season in that season uh, as a senior in high school and I've been with the U.S. ski team for 16 years uh, after graduating from Stratton Mountain School uh, and raced with them. Uh, spent about 16 years racing on the World Cup. Uh, raced around 250 World Cup competitions. <laughs> uh, some good, plenty bad, uh, a little bit of everything. Yeah, I got involved because my family was in the skiing community and so Vermont's a kind of a cool place and we try to emulate the ski club model here in Bozeman Montana too but it it is more established in Vermont so like the the state is kind of broke up broken up into these different counties and each county has a little ski club and it's an after school skiing program for kids um, and they bring them together and race them against each other on the weekend and so I got involved with that because my parents were involved in a local ski area which is called Prospect Mountain uh, outside of Bennington Vermont and they were um, kind of, they're just, they were city folks from Pittsburgh and Philadelphia, so they weren't like true hardcore Vermont skiers at all. Um, but as once they moved to Vermont and had kids, they got me and my two older siblings involved in skiing and doing that kind of after school program, going up to Prospect Mountain on the weekends and skiing as a family. So it started very much as just like an outdoor family activity that was kind of unique to Vermont. Hmm. Yeah. Kind of like a BSF program. Exactly. Yep. Yep. BSF program. It's, it's, it's built the same way. So you have the introductory kind of age groups who are getting kids just introduced to skiing around like ages, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and then they might start racing, you know, at whatever 
kind of le level they want to at that age. They're called lollipoppers in that group. So that's part of what we call the Bill Coke Youth Ski League is what it's called in New England. It's called something different out here. I don't think it has a name, um, but over there it's called the Bill Coke Youth Ski League. And yeah, you start as a lollipopper, which means you race about a kilometer at a time on the weekend and you get a lollipop after the race. And so that's where it all starts. <laughs> the difference between the Vermont skiing community and like a Western community like here in Bozeman is that the Western ski communities are like little islands because it's so hard to travel. It's not like you can just like, as a, as a parent, you want to throw a five-year-old kid or six, seven, eight-year-old kid in the car and drive all the way to like maybe Missoula to race for the weekend, but you're not going to drive to Colorado or whatever, you know? So the Bill Coke Youth Ski League in New England is pretty tight-knit like racing scene at a young age because it's so much easier to drive to New Hampshire, Maine, Vermont. Like, you know, nothing's more than a four or five, six, maybe six hour drive to get into all these other different ski clubs. And so you can, you're kind of, uh, it's a bigger pool of talent in a lot of ways. So like a lot of the little kids are kind of racing against each other on a regular basis um, at a pretty young age, which is neat. So I uh, made the trip to Bozeman uh, three years ago, which I guess was in 2016. 2017 uh, because my wife grew up here Erica Flowers um, and so uh, we made the trip to Vermont we drove out here from Vermont to kind of resettle um, and at that time that was when I I chose to kind of step down from the US ski team and kind of I had been doing that for 16 years or so racing full-time World Cup um, and so I wanted to spend more time in the US spend more time with my wife because before that I was spending between six and eight months a year on the road so kind of time to settle down at some point. You know, Erica grew up here and really liked this community. Uh, her father lived out here and her sister. And so I had kind of only visited, um, but definitely fell in love with the Bozeman area just from visiting a few times um, because of the outdoor community you have here and the outdoor resources. So we, yeah, I moved out here three years ago and ever since then just been exploring the Bridgers really enjoying the fact that you can have snow on the ground here you know starting in most of the time in October which is something we definitely don't have in Vermont um, and so it, it for me it was just a bigger mountain playground which was really fun to to explore and and so I think Bozeman has a ton of potential to be I think in, in some ways it is the next big ski town but uh, it's it's still growing like the Nordic community here is still growing um, and I think because, yeah, like I said before, I think the New England um, ski, cross-country skiing community just has such an older history that it's taken a while to catch on out here. But we have a great club set up with the Bridger Ski Foundation. And so that's exactly what you need to make sure, um, you know, you're getting more kids involved in the sport when they have opportunities like that where they can start skiing at ages four or five or six and put skis on and just walk around in the height, you know, their elementary school backyard, which is something that we try to do here with the Bridger Ski Foundation, all the local grooming in town. Um, like you can ski in three different places in town, whether you're gonna ski at, you know, Lindley, or uh, I think they groom some trails at near the Sacagawea Middle School. Um, you have sourdough. And so the access to skiing here is, is better, I think, in some ways than Vermont. And that's why I'm really excited about the skiing opportunities here to grow at least the Nordic community in this area. We have a much bigger population here than some of those eastern towns um so yeah it's a fast growing town and we have amazing snow you know a long winter season much longer than other places in the country and so yeah and so many active families that live here too which is great and it's a i think it's cool to see kids participating in all types of 
of sports, and that includes winter sports. So I don't think a, an athlete needs to choose cross-country skiing or, or ski touring or alpine racing, for example, at a at when they're 10 or 12 years old. I think they should be doing everything. And that's really cool about living here in Bozeman that, is that these kids have the opportunity to go ski at Bridger, downhill skiing. They can go ski touring with their family. They can go cross-country skiing at Crosscut or Sourdough or anywhere. So many different opportunities. And so they really just become all-around winter athletes, which is what I that's what I think is, that's what I strive for, and that's what I get really excited when I see kids also doing that. Yeah, yeah all around winter athletes, yeah. Yeah, so that's really exciting is that we're gonna have uh, snow making at Lindley, so they're gonna try to, they're laying pipe right now by the hospital to uh, have around three or 4K of kind of guaranteed man-making snow. And, and we're fortunate enough here that it gets pretty cold at night, so I think the snow making capabilities here are gonna be really good. Um, and, and what that will do is just kind of guarantee snow at a certain date which makes it really easy for uh it's good for the tourism economy because then ski teams for example from utah colorado all these other you know states can then plan to travel to bozeman because they know okay on november 1st we know there's gonna be guaranteed good snow at lindley and so i think it will generate more people into the area to come train for cross-country skiing which is cool um and it will also extend the season more in the spring because when you lay a, a good snowmaking base, that snow really solidifies and stay, keeps the ground really cold. And then you, you stack your natural snow on top of that, and it will extend the, the skiing season in Lindley by several weeks into the spring, which is cool. Um, and then in addition to that, um, what's cool in this area is that there, Bridger Ski Foundation is not the only club in the area. Right now we have Crosscut, um, which has a they mostly specialize in biathlon, but they have an elite team as well. So we have the Crosscut team. We also have the Montana Endurance Academy, MEA, and we have the Bridger Ski Foundation. And within those groups, there's a, there's a ton of kids now racing uh, and training full-time for skiing, which is really cool. And, and so I am optimistic for the future that we can work together more with those programs. Crosscut um, is really trying to step up their racing trail system. Right now, Crosscut's a beautiful like place to go you know crush a bunch of k's and just enjoy the scenery it's beautiful skiing up up there right now what they lack is a true racing loop um and so that's what they're working on this summer they're trying to um homologate a race loop so it needs to get approved by fist the international ski federation and once they do that they'll be able to host high level competitions up there um, because they are just under the legal altitude limit for fist competitions so they are a good venue to be able to host them and they have pretty reliable snow um, so right now they're working on a, a new 5K race loop up there, which is exciting, and they're actually going to end up leveling that and paving it next year. And so I can understand if you're listening to this, or that doesn't sound great at all from an environmental standpoint. Like, why would you go pave, you know, a loop in the woods? Uh, and I get that, but from a ski training standpoint, it's really beneficial to us. It keeps the kids off the road, and it also allows us to have a closed roller loop that we can train for roller skiing, and we can also pave much steeper pitches on a roller ski loop than you get on the road. A lot of the roads are fairly flat around here. So once we have potentially, you know, snow making at Lindley and also a true race loop up at Crosscut with a roller ski loop, I mean, it's going to be, we're going to have all the resources of any kind of like Olympic town, like better than Soldier Hollow, any of those other places in the country. So we're going to be looking real good once all that infrastructure is put in. For me, a perfect season starts with yeah, early season skiing in, if it can come in October, that's great. But at the very least by early November, um, November is kind of the last little 
punch of training that we give ourselves um, for kind of World Cup level athletes. So we kind of build our training volume in our hours all the way up until say the middle of August. And then we actually decrease our training a little bit in September and October, because that's when we add more intensity. So a general physiology rule is that you don't mix volume and intensity. So that means the more high intensity interval training you do, the less your weekly hours you must train in order to absorb that training. So basically we build our training to August and then cut it in October, September, and then build it back up again in November as we get closer to the season. And so it's great here in Bozeman if there is beautiful skiing in November, because that's a great time to build back in some volume, do some longer skis, you know, two hour, three hour skis, uh, in the morning. And so we're lucky enough that if you have snow making in town, that will be early skiing as well, but also just the elevation difference between town and Crosscut. Crosscut had really good early skiing season or early snow season last year. And so kind of what I do is just check the weather. Obviously, I mean, that's the case for a backcountry skier. It's the case for, you know, anybody, a biker, a surfer, you know, you wake up in the morning, you check the webcams, <laughs> that kind of stuff. You see what's been groomed. Um, so BSF updates the grooming reports for sourdough, Lindley. So you can refer to that website. Um, and so Crosscut also has a grooming report every morning. And so you can check um, what's going on up there. And so that's kind of the routine I get in in November is I'll wake up and I'll try to plan maybe a day in advance where I'm going to train. But um, if the snow is thin down in town, I'll head up to Crosscut. If it snowed overnight and you want to guarantee some fresh grooming, you go to Crosscut in the morning. I think Lindley for for me is great for like afternoon style trainings where you can just get in the car for a couple minutes and be on your skis and do some technique work or some short speeds and intervals and stuff around Lindley. Really great combination of like more kilometers and fresh grooming up at Crosscut and also like fun terrain to ski in town. Sourdough is also a great early season skiing spot and that's because the snow there falls on a road versus on grass and so that dirt road will um, be skiable earlier typically than like crosscut even. Uh, it depends how much snow they're getting up in the mountains. But that's a great option and BSF will keep that grooming report updated as well. So I think people maybe don't realize how early you can ski in Bozeman. Um, and that's the beauty of cross country skiing too is like you only really need six, maybe seven inches of snow and you can be skiing. And that's not the case with alpine skiing. You know, you'll be grinding your edges on every turn. But uh, Crossing your skiing, we don't need much. Uh, we can pack it down, especially at Sourdough and Lindley. So you can actually enjoy really quality early season skiing. So even if you're an alpine racer or a ski tour, a ski touring athlete, if you can build your aerobic capacity crossing your skiing, you are going to have way more fun in the mountains all winter long. So I think no matter what, anybody should be trying to log as many k's as they can on that early season cross-country skiing snow, whether it's at Sourdough, Lindley, or Crosscut. So get on your skis in October if the snow is there. Ski all of November. The ski touring is in my opinion too dangerous and not very good in november anyway so you might as well like get your fitness under you you know so for me i ski nordic all all winter long but my my backcountry season will start you know if the conditions are safe and good you know sometime in january february but for me like march and april is the best time around here to switch to backcountry skiing or crust skiing and for me it really just depends on the condition again i'll wake up and i'll have been watching the weather um if it's a spring powder day definitely go ski touring so many great spots that you can hit on the bridgers um or in the spanish peaks or or you know so many different amazing powder backcountry skiing destinations you can you can find with pretty easy access in this area and then 
as we get later in the spring, kind of mid-March into April, if we start seeing temps kind of in the creeping up towards 50, uh, mid 40s to 50 at night and then, or during the day and then freezing at night, that's when we get into crust season. And at that point, our most of our racing is done. And so for us, Nordic skiers, it's all about having fun in the mountains at that point, which is why you see a lot of Nordies who end up doing a lot of crust skiing, a lot of backcountry skiing towards the end of March into April. And that's a really fun time of year here in Bozeman, maybe the most fun because you get the sun and you also get great skiing conditions. Um, and if you have a little bit of a freeze-thaw cycle, um, similar to solid corn conditions that you might have for backcountry touring, then, uh, then it's crust season. And for me, um, I just kind of choose my mode of transportation depending on how the snow looks. So if it's a solid crust and you get that nice sparkle on the snow overnight, that means it's set up really well and the crust isn't too thin. You've had multiple, no multiple nights of freezing with above freezing temperatures during the day. So the crust is really thick and can support a lot of body weight. Then you know it's really good crust skiing. And I think there's nothing better than that because you can cover so much more ground than you can on, on even on AT gear. Um, and so it's just about covering a lot of country and having a lot of fun and, you know, ski as many peaks as you can, a big traverse or something like that. It's really fun to do that on cross country skis. But if the crust is more breakable or if it's been a little bit of powder recently in the forecast, then I'll switch and go AT on those days. So just trying to choose the most fun equipment for the day. <laughs> Here in Montana, the snowpack, we get such extremes in our temperatures. We get really bad cold snaps in the winter as well. Um, so the ski touring is amazing, but it also is one of the more dangerous places for backcountry touring. So you have to definitely know what you're doing. You have to have some kind of avalanche training. The spring is when you can ski the really, really steep stuff, the most fun stuff in my opinion in this area, but I'm also not a professional <laughs> ski tour. So that's kind of what I do. I'm a professional Nordy. So I hit the races. Uh, most of our big races come in February. Um, whether you're racing the Birkebeiner or racing World Cups or World Champs or whatever. And then um, once the end of March and April roll around, for us, the race season is over. So we're just enjoying the mountain lifestyle at that point. If you spend time to work on your technique, whether it's classic or skate, you will move, move faster with less energy, which is ultimately gonna equal more fun for you out there on the ski trail. That comes from having a combination of being able to apply power effectively and then also take advantage of your glide. Applying power down into the snow, whether it's, you know, your pushing phase during a skate, skate push or a classic push or whatever, that comes from being in the correct body position. The way cross-country skiing has gone in the last 10 years or so, if we want to really talk technique, is we've gone more towards like running mechanic style teaching. You can't apply power if you're really bent over, like at the waist. You can't apply power if you're sitting back, uh, like you're sitting in a chair, for example. So just being balanced and comfortable on your skis, therefore allow you to apply power effectively. A lot of the stuff you can do in the gym can be really beneficial to the way that you can apply power in your skis. So we do a lot of balance training in the gym, you know, standing on like a physio ball, that kind of stuff, throwing medicine balls back and forth. Um, the more kind of cross training like that you can do, the more comfortable you will be applying power on your skis um, and more comfortable, comfortable you will be gliding on your skis. A lot of people ask me, how can I work on my balance? Where does balance come from? And it's funny, a lot of people think balance on your skis comes from this magical thing that happens down on your feet. You know, you have like this special balance trigger that just turns on. When in reality, balance comes from your core. And, by, and when I say your core, I mean the, the part of your body from your knees up to your shoulders. So a lot of people think, they're, think of their core and they think they're abs, but no, that's not how we train core nowadays in athletics. Balance comes from your core. One of the things I have beginners do often is like bring one of those monster bands right to the side of the trail on the snow. I do this with my athletes all the time. And you'll kind of activate the glutes and practice 
a few glute exercises um, because a, a ton of your balance is going to come from your glutes in that part of your core. So we'll do some band exercises and we'll do some little drop and holds they're called. So that's where you kind of jump up in the air and land on one foot or jump up in the air and land on two feet. A lot of that balance training and like jumping training on your feet first will kind of solidify the body position you need to be in before you click on your skis and then you can apply power well, use your glute muscles, use your core, and hopefully get more comfortable where you can take advantage of that glide. Because the more you can glide on your skis, the faster you're gonna go with less energy and the more fun you're gonna have. Yeah, so recovery is always an important piece of the puzzle in any sport, in cross-country skiing is no exception. Everyone trains hard nowadays. Back in the cross-country skiing world, if we were to look back 30 years ago, it was like the Russians were training one, one way, the Norwegians were training one way, the US was training one way. Nowadays, because of technology, you know, you got Instagram, you got Facebook, you got all this stuff, information is shared so quickly. Essentially, all athletes are training a ton and training a ton at a young age. I know teenagers, so we're talking 18, 19-year-old kids that are training 800 plus hours a year. 30 years ago, you wouldn't be hitting 800 hours until you were you know, pushing 30, probably. So there has been a progression. Skiers are getting young, faster at younger ages because of this technology. Their physiology has pushed them to the point where they're becoming faster early on. You can't train your face off all the time, you know, expect to get faster and faster every single year. What we've seen a shift of in the last five years is that now recovery becomes like the, miss, the missing link because everyone's training hard now. So now if everyone's training hard, where do you get that edge? And now all of a sudden it's like, okay, how quick can you recover? How quick can you recover between a race be able to turn around and race the next day and, and beat your competition. Um, I think that's the case in cycling and in the case in, in Nordic scene nowadays. We measure HRV, so heart rate variability. Um, so we're wearing electrodes or heart rate monitors at night. So you're seeing how, how your body is responding to the training on a daily basis and seeing how quickly you're bouncing back um, from training certain loads. Um, most cross-country skiers take around one off day every seven to eight days. So that's a pretty typical thing. Some might push it like 14 days without an off day, but you definitely have to let the body recover at some point. Pretty standard recovery techniques are obviously fueling and nutrition. Um, so for us, a big thing is fueling while we train. If we're training for more than three hours at a time, we'll definitely be eating and drinking while we're out there. Uh, hitting your glycogen window after a workout. So that means eating within 30 minutes of your session ending. That will allow you to stack hours and hours and hours on top of one another. If you neglect that, you simply won't be able to train as much. So hitting that 30 minute window after each workout, nobody's uh, skipping on the carbs these days in Nordic skiing. I don't know how, somehow low carb became a fad in these other maybe ultra running and stuff. But in my opinion, unless you are racing more than, even ultra running is maybe right on the border. Unless your races are more than 12 hours long, you have to have a pretty heavy carbohydrate diet in athletics in my opinion. So we're hitting a lot of carbs directly after workouts um, and using sports drink and you know all that kind of stuff to, to perform our best and then yeah some ice bath rowing massage all that kind of stuff most of us use regular pts and massage therapists just to you know more of an injury prevention kind of thing than anything else but that's also a huge part of our recovery and yeah that's an important piece of super compensation you know you can train all you want but you actually really don't get faster until you take that day off and absorb that training Everyone's training hard, but who can absorb the most of that training? And that's where the recovery piece fits in. You could take two athletes that even have the same genes, same DNA, train them exactly the same, and one might kick butt during the season, the other one won't. And why does that happen? Well, it happened because one athlete absorbed the training better than the other, even though they did the exact same workouts every single day, did the exact same thing, ate the same thing. For whatever reason, one person's body was ready to absorb that and, and the other person wasn't.
yeah, that's the mystery of athletics. And as a coach and as an athlete, your job is to always listen to your body. In athletics, stress is good for the body. You want to find new ways to stress the body. Um, you do have to just find ways to tweak your training on a yearly basis and find new ways to stress the body. You know, if you train the same way, even for more than a year at a time, your body's going to adjust to that and you're going to plateau. One of the biggest mistakes that your average endurance athlete makes is doing too similar of training too often of the time. So you're actually, you probably got fit for a first year or two, but you might hit year three or four or five of doing that. And you're not doing yourself much service by just doing the same training year after year. So you have to find a way to stress the body differently, whether that's changing up your strength and conditioning plans in the gym or, you know, adding more over distance training or more interval training and just finding that balance and not just doing the same thing all the time. Man, it is a crazy, crazy time right now. Um, for everyone and, and athletics is no exception. Um, the ski season, we got fairly lucky. I was obviously training. I was out training for my final World Cups of, the, of my career and they got canceled the two days before they were supposed to happen. So it was like all of a sudden I was retired from professional skiing. Um, so that was a weird way for me to end my career as a World Cup skier, but everyone is in a really tough boat. And, and looking back, honestly, the ski season last year was better off than a lot of the summer athletes. I mean, you think about a summer athlete right now, they had their Olympics postponed. Here you are, an athlete that's been training for four years to be at your absolute peak for the Summer Olympics, which are, would have been happening, you know, next month here, um, or happening, you know, this month. All of a sudden, it's like, oh yeah, they're going to be a year later now. So like, how do you how do you name that team as a governing body? How do you make sure your athletes are as fit as they can be for those Olympics? I mean, talk about a test in resilience. That's got to be tough. From a skiing standpoint, who knows? I think. We will likely not see uh, NCAA collegiate racing happen this year. Um, we will probably see World Cup racing and World Championships happen at some level, although it will be very different, you know, if there's no fans and if they're, who knows, they might need to limit the amount of starters they can have in the start area, all that kind of stuff. Traveling right now is, is pretty tricky. So it's definitely disruptive if you're an athlete and it's harder now to find sponsors and make money as an athlete, obviously. like we're a little bit of an entertainment leisure industry you could call it so it's like when the total global economy tanks uh obviously nobody cares what uh what kind of shoes you know Andy Newell's running with they're not going to be paying me big contracts so it's uh, it makes sense you know we're pretty low on the priority list you know all athletics are, are struggling right now financially um no matter what sport you compete in it can be tough to stay focused and it can be tough to stay motivated but I think the key for all athletes now is to focus on those process goals and like more internal based goals and that's something if you're an elite level athlete you've practiced that kind of type of mental training that type of reframing of situations you've practiced your mental resiliency you know now's the time to put that stuff to work so if I were an athlete training for the Olympics and I didn't know or if I didn't know I was gonna have a season next year I would focus on the process goals focus on you know doing the best you can you gotta you gotta find some some new goals if you know you don't have a competition you know, you have to be like, okay, maybe my goal is going to be to, you know, ski 100K in four hours or something like that. You know, make your own competition out of it. Or maybe it's going to be to do 30 pull-ups by, you know, September. So you make all these little process goals and then you kind of evaluate your training and you stay focused and motivated that way versus putting all your eggs in this basket of a, of a competition that may or may not happen down the road. That's something that all athletes should practice, but now we're just kind of forced to in COVID. Uh, I have a, an, a funny saying I like to use with my athletes, and, and it was taught to me by John Hammermeister, who was the U.S. ski team sports psych for many, many years. 
and he used to have the saying, when an archer hits the bullseye, takes him completely by surprise. And what that means is, I mean, you can put that in the context of a skier. When a skier wins a gold medal, it takes him completely by surprise. That means day in and day out as a skier, I'm not thinking about that gold medal. I'm hopefully not even thinking about the Olympics for that matter. That's kind of a misconception that the public puts on athletes is that you're constantly thinking about that gold medal or this Olympic team or that. In reality, you shouldn't be. You should be thinking about the process goal. You should be thinking, okay, I can run. I want to be able to run a 3K, a sub nine minute 3K. I want to be able to do 30 pull-ups and I want to be able to run up Baldy in an hour and a half. And you set those kind of process, physical process goals. And before you know it, you are at the level of winning an Olympic medal. And it's not something that you've been dwelling on on a daily basis. So I think it's that's true now more than ever in the COVID world. Yeah. Thanks, Andy. 